From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 96. Today's show is brought to you by Smile, Ministry of Supply, and Willing.com. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Mrs. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, what's left of Michael Hurley? Yeah, I am sick. If you think I sound bad, Federico's not here. Imagine how he sounds. Uh, I don't want to think about that. We have like a combination of some kind of jet lag disorientation sickness and some kind of cold flu combo. Uh, Federico is in much worse shape than me, so we're not going to make any dying jokes because he's sick. Uh, I love Federico and I hope he returns very soon. That's well what said. I have to say. Thank you very much. Uh, I was practicing that this morning. Uh, we are back from WWDC. That is why we're sick, because that's just what happens when you get on a plane for nine hours. Everybody's lovely germs find their way into your body, which is awesome. But we are, uh, we'd split apart again. Uh, we were together at last, last, last week, which was really, very nice, wasn't it? The three of us to be together for the first time. It was. So we've been doing this show for a long time. Of course, we had the prompt that was before this, and uh, we've never... The two of you guys have met, but really only just recently. Yep. And it was my first time to meet Federico, and it was a really great week. It was really special to spend time with with not just uh, the two of you, but with uh, listeners and a bunch of other hosts, and it was just really a really a, a really great week. Yeah, it was fantastic, and uh, I got a little bit emotional, and I wrote a little thing about how... Uh, how this WD- past WWDC was so special for me, and it was partly because of all the RelayCon stuff and uh, how we've kind of settled in now um, into kind of our role, I guess, uh, in our little corner of an industry that we have and how things have kind of adapted and grown for us in the last year especially. And it's been, it, it really kind of helped solidify a lot of that um, for us to be able to put on an event that, you know, we had... 150 people come to and many many more on the waiting list and it was really nice and it went really well and thank you to everybody that came uh thank you to everybody that helped and also thank you to everyone that listened um we really appreciate it absolutely um so we want to talk a little bit about the app that you were using on stage i think we had a couple questions about this yeah i i meant to mention this um but didn't get around to it uh i was Trying to keep time um, of what of kind of the, all the little segments that I had because I knew I had multiple people um, and I knew I had specific amounts of time to keep with them. So I was using an app uh, created by Joe Chaplinsky of Release Notes called Fin, um, F-I-N. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's at fintimer.com. Uh, I really like that this is created by someone who understands time, right? Because Joe does speaking and he does performing um, and it was a really good application. I, it ran in split screen, which is awesome, right? Like if you've seen pictures of us, you may have seen I kind of had a split screen going on. Uh, part of it was my notes app. I was kind of keeping all of my notes and questions for the section in my notes app. But then on the other side, I had Finn running. And what it allowed me to do is to set time presets. So I had like 15 and 20 minute blocks that I could choose from. Um, and it And I could set custom... Uh, time limits for the UI to change color so like it starts off black and then it will change to green uh, amber and red so you can kind of get an idea of how long you have left because you know you've set the time limits 
to the way that you want. And what I really liked, because the way that it ended up working out on stage for me is those color changes would happen in my peripheral vision. So I knew where I was in the time limit just Without by... Without having to like read exactly. a number out. Yeah. Or I didn't even need to look at the screen because I was only ever looking at the screen when I wanted to be reminded of a question. But this was just happening kind of in the corner of my eye and that way I could kind of make sure how long I knew and I could move around things and cut some questions and stuff. So it worked out really, really well for me. If you do any kind of speaking or you know that kind of thing or you have anything that should be timed uh, with you not having to pay too much attention, I would definitely go for uh, this app, Finn by Joe Plinsky. It's awesome. So go check it out. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was it was nice just to have something. I mean, even though I wasn't presenting, it was nice to know just being on stage, like how much time connected had left. And it's really a solid uh, little app. Yeah, every, every time the, ch- the color changed, people would look at the screen. But like yeah. they had no idea what I was doing, right? Because I didn't tell anyone that I had this like timer running. The color would change, and people would be like, "What's what's going on over there? <laughs> what are you doing?" Yeah. So that was that was funny. So, are you running any of the uh, betas yet? Not yet, um, just because I haven't had the time to download and install uh, iOS ten. I'm going to put it on uh, my Air two because it's just an iPad that I have that I'm not using that's kind of been turned off for a long time, just so I can get a feel for some of the stuff that's going on. Uh, I know that I'm not going to get the benefit of a lot of the 3D touch actions and things like that in Notification Center because they're currently, and maybe always, we don't know, uh, iPhone only. So, uh, But I want to see kind of some of the UI stuff and just get a feel for what's going on there, maybe send some silly messages to other people that are running iOS 10 so I can just see all of that. I really want to install watchOS 3, and we're going to talk about watchOS a little bit later on in the show, but I really don't want to put iOS 10 on my iPad right now. Agreed. Yeah, I'm the same way. I am not willing to... I said iPad, I meant iPhone, sorry. Right. Um, You haven't put the iOS beta on your iPod Hi-Fi. I wish I could. (laughs) I'm the same way. I'm not running any of them yet. Beta 1 is way too early for me. I will at some point need to deal with the mac os beta probably sooner rather than later but for me it's not worth the instability yet you could buy a macbook adorable to put it on i have had that thought um i had ample opportunity last week to do that and i didn't so (laughs) but uh yeah the same way it's just too early of course the public beta will be rolling out sometime next month so there's you know that's a a nice way usually by the public beta things are, are relatively okay but Anytime there's a beta, you're going to run into issues with uh, the OS, third-party apps. Like anything can be, you know, oddly broken at any time. And as I have grown wiser and more mature, I put the betas on later and later. Yeah, I've always uh, or tended to in last recent years do um, the betas around beta four on my carry devices. The public beta might change this for me. Um, I want to see what the public beta looks like, uh, and then I might I might go for it on the phone, but we'll see. I haven't made my mind up yet. I haven't made my mind up yet. The, the reports, are, you know, from people are saying that this is relatively stable as far as beta one goes, but I have no intention of putting beta one on my iPhone. Um, I'm probably going to put 
the beta on one of my iPads sooner rather than I you than I usually would because I you know I kind of have a backup right like I'm running two of them whilst I would prefer to have them both completely stable at least I could do it on a on a device that I'm using more uh, regularly but I have to wait and see on that maybe just having it on the Air two will be enough to to kind of uh, have my curiosity satiated uh, we'll see I think that's fair. I assume that when Federico recovers, he's already started work on his uh, iOS 10 review. I know that was part of the reason that he was in San Francisco, uh, was to attend sessions and stuff. And I know that he was getting the urge and the itch to, to do some work. And I was watching him kind of keep notes of all the little features and the little things that he was finding out and stuff that he wanted to look at. So I know work has started for him. Uh, are you looking to do any kind of reviews this time? I know that kind of over the years... You've tended to do things in the Mac world, but your the level of detail that you go into has changed. You know, you've done full reviews, you've done design reviews. Do you have any plans for Sierra? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna do a Sierra review. Um I mean my reviews are nowhere near what say John used to do on Ars Technica, but uh, I look like look at the feature set and kind of where this fits in with where the, the OS has been and where it's going. I did do for Yosemite, I just did a design review that was really twofold. One, obviously, the UI was drastically different, and so I really want to spend a lot of time on that. And we had a baby uh, like two weeks before uh, Yosemite was released, and I just not me and Stephen. We he, he yes, my wife and I. Yeah. Um, so they were really I didn't have the bandwidth to do a full review that year. Yeah, but I, I do plan on having a Sierra review ready to go. I've already started on a little bit, which is why I I need to start spending some time with it but um that's the plan what about you mike are you going to be writing a watch os review between the, the three of us we could cover three of the four platforms oh no i'm i'm writing extensive reviews on all the platforms including tvos oh wow yeah it's well, going to be pretty be big short. i'm going for like twenty thousand words a piece so we, we all right. have that to look out for it's going to be real good can you imagine how many spelling errors i could do in twenty thousand words about nineteen thousand words spelled incorrectly it would be amazing it would be special I am going to be reviewing nothing. Absolutely <laughs> zero. I mean, I'll be doing audio reviews, I'm sure, as time goes on. But no, I'm not going to be doing any kind of review. That's not at all what I'm interested in doing. This week's episode is brought to you by Ministry of Supply. Look, we have to address something here. There's, we can't get around this. Human sweat. There's nothing we can do about it. I have to put that out front. As a, as a claim before I can continue. We all know that we sweat. There's nothing we can do about it. And very rarely does sweating take place at times that are convenient for us. You're commuting, you're in a meeting, you know, th times that you don't want to be sweating tend to be times that we do. When we're in the gym or, you know, we're, we're maybe just hanging out on the weekend, we're wearing clothes that are designed to handle this stuff a little bit better. But our work clothes, our shirts, our suits, the things that we wear all day, every day, they do nothing to help. This is where Ministry of Supply comes in. They combine performance technology with tailored design to make men's workwear as actually comfortable and capable. This results in dress shirts and slacks that wick sweat, breathe, and stretch as you move. For example, they have a suit called the Aviator 2, and it's so stretchy and breathable, people have actually run marathons in it. This is no joke. Ministry of Supply's co-founder set a Guinness World Record for the fastest half marathon run in a suit. And of course, he was wearing... The Aviator 2. <laughs> now, Stephen, awesome. I know it is right. I know that you uh, use and wear lots of Ministry of Supply clothes. Um, I'm sure that you love them, right? I do, absolutely. I'm not a big dress shirt guy in my new indie life, but anytime I need to 
it looked fancy. Like we had a fancy dinner at WWC and I, I busted out a ministry, a supply shirt to show people that I meant uh, serious business. And I think it worked. And you didn't want to get hot and sweaty either. No, no one wants that. To find out more, visit ministryofsupply.com slash connected and you'll get 15% of your first Ministry of Supply purchase by using the code connected at checkout. Or even better, if you live in Boston, San Francisco and coming soon, Washington, D.C., just mention this show in one of the physical Ministry of Supply stores and you'll get 15% off. Thank you so much to Ministry of Supply for supporting this show and Relay FM. So Federico might not be here today, which actually might make this more fun for me. <laughs> oh no we, I had previously joked about when Federico got the 12.9 inch uh, iPad for review in episode 65 I made a, a joke about how I thought that he would be using both iPads um, but then in episode 89 after I had bought my second iPad so I bought the 9.7 inch iPad Pro I made a goal that within 6 months I would convince Federico to buy another iPad, and join me and Gray in the multi-pad life. My goal for the next six months is to convince Federico to buy another iPad. And it's happened. We did it. So we drove down to the Apple campus in Cupertino, and there's a store there. And I think between being... Uh, bullied by you and Gray in the car ride, and the you know the wonder of being at One Infinite Loop, he bought a small iPad Pro, and there he tweeted. There's a picture in the show notes uh, marking the occasion in which hashtag Mike was right. Live to see another day. So the w- reason is there was a few things that led to this happening for Federico. So when we were on the plane, Federico was showing me some stuff, like some of his workflow stuff, uh, on his 12.9-inch iPad. And as I was looking at it, I was kind of just thinking, hmm, how can I start my my work here to convince him to buy the 9.7? Because I was convinced that it would be this trip in which I could make the the case because I was only bringing my 9.7 with me. And it dawned on me. I needed to show him the true tone. So I said to him, Federico, open notes. So I asked him to open the notes app. And then I opened Notes app on mine. I was like, look at the difference between these. And he was like, hmm. And then I was like going into settings and turning True Tone on and off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was like, look at the icons on mine. Look how bright and vivid these icons are. By the end of the trip, I remember he was standing up. Uh, this was at the end of the, end of the flight. And he was grabbing his bag out of the overhead, can, like the overhead locker. And he said to me, how much do you think the 9.7 inch would be in the US? And I was like, aha, oh, I no. did it. I did it. And then the combination of Gray and Marco, because Marco is like super in on the 9.7 inch now for traveling and stuff. But, you know, me and Gray are in on it for everything. That kind of convinced him to buy it. I remember him saying to me, he brought an Air 2 with him to put his, uh, to put the betas on. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he said to me at one point, he was like, hmm, I think, I think the 9.7 inch would be would be more powerful and be better for the uh, for the beta. And I'm like, you're just trying to find excuses now, man. Like, <laughs> we're in on this. You've done it. You have made the decision. So we went to the company store and we bought uh, we bought him a 9.7 inch, much to Stephen's dismay, as you can see in the photo of all of us. The the fo- my expression is not so much about his purchasing, but just the uh, the hashtag living on. But um, so I, I have a few a, th- a few thoughts about this. Not the multi pad style lifestyle. I can't speak to that. But 
in seeing you use your 9.7, Federico, I think basically, you know, using the 9.7 a lot on this trip, the I've had some like increasing friction with the 12.9 inch model. I still really like it for multitasking and for writing and like it's great for watching video. But where it really falls down, for me at least, is like reading on the couch or reading in bed. It's just too big. And I'm not going to run out and get a second iPad just to leave on the nightstand. Even though Gray was trying to talk me into that. <laughs> there is, I do have this feeling that next time around I may end up um, back at the 9.7 inch just for like more well-rounded use that I, since I don't use the iPad as my main computer, the size is like, it's nice sometimes, but it's also a big pain sometimes. And that maybe going back to that middle size is, is where I will end up long-term. I, I don't, I don't know. I've, um, but it's just kind of something that I've been thinking about that there are, are a lot of times where I want to use the iPad and it's the, the big pro is just, too bulky or too large to use comfortably i really think that the the combination of the two is the way to go and i know that i've said this a bunch but it made so much sense to me on this trip like i bought the 9.7 i could get practically everything that i needed done on it and i also was taking something light that could easily fit in the back seat pocket of the plane and all that sort of stuff it was nice but then i come home and i wanted to watch some video and i uh, whack out the 12.9 and watch it there or you know like i'm going to be getting back into more serious work this week and that's where the 12.9 really shines but it does honestly feel to me like it's the mac (laughs) the, the, the ipad that stays at home rather than like the Mac that stays at home. Because uh, I don't bring my iMac with me when I go on trips. I would bring a MacBook or a MacBook Pro. And it's, for me, it's the exact same thinking that leads to me having both of these iPads and loving them dearly. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I think that's, I think that's fair. You know, I think I would be more willing to, to consider that if I was working on an iPad even 50% of the time. And the reality is, just that I'm not um, as good as the 12.9 is. And I do a lot of writing, like a, a lot of writing on 512 pixels comes from the iPad, but I'm not doing, you know, relay administration work on the iPad. I'm not doing a lot of, you know, podcast preparation or a lot of freelance stuff on the iPad. And so for me, it's a little harder to justify currently, but yeah, I definitely understand. Like, I don't, I don't mock you guys for it. I think that, um, well, I do a little bit, but yeah, you do. But, you know, I understand that, like, you're looking for the best tools for the job that you need to get done, and who am I to make fun of that? Stephen Hackett. That's true. Uh, We spoke a little bit last week at RelayCon uh, about some of the macOS Sierra uh, features. We spoke about Siri and stuff a little bit. But there were some things, and they are big things, uh, that that were announced that we didn't really talk about, um, and I wanted to get some of your thoughts on them. So one of them being Apple Pay on the web. Uh, Safari only, which frustrates me, but this is kind of a big step, right? Like it could make things easier. I can see it really eating into PayPal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the, the documentation calls it Safari-based websites, which is uh, sort of that frustrates me so much. Funny way to say that. Uh, I understand why they're doing it in Safari only. They they can control much more of that experience. Um, is that necessary though? It may be. I mean, I I I, I am not deep enough in this stuff to understand exactly what this JavaScript framework is doing. Yeah, I would love some someone to write in and uh, let me know why it's Safari only. Like, 
so then we could you know we could follow up on this next time but I would hope that there's a reason other than Apple wants people to use Safari. Yeah, I, I don't know. So if you know that, please uh, hit us up and we will include in some follow-up. But um, I'm excited about it. Uh, I don't get to use Apple Pay a ton of places in real life, but it would be nice to use it on the web just for that extra layer of security. And uh, I don't know if it's enough for me to switch back to Safari. I use Safari on iOS, but on the Mac I use Chrome. I think like the the bulk of people. But um, it's uh, something to uh, I think it's something to think about, you know, going forward. That I, I don't want to use a credit card just directly on a website if Apple Pay is an option. Yeah, I mean, and it will help, you know, because usually in those scenarios, I use something like PayPal, right? Like if I don't want to put in a credit card and they have PayPal integration, I'll use that. But I then still have to do all the login and all that kind of stuff. And I would love it more if I could just use Touch ID, you know. Or on my iPhone and buy it on my Mac, right? Like I, li- I like that integration. Um, it's, it's just another sign of Touch ID being on the next MacBooks, right? Putting Apple Pay on the Mac. Uh, so, but yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, that and Auto Unlock seem to point to me that Touch ID is is most definitely coming to at least the MacBook Pro hardware. And I don't know if, um... but I like that they're finding a way to bring those features to everyone, though. That's that's really great. You know, because yeah, that doesn't that doesn't feel very Apple, right? Like to have that. This is clearly going to be much nicer with a Touch ID built in. But usually, they would put these kind of features in to push people towards the new hardware. But it seems like that they are kind of making them backwards compatible. You could say with stuff that doesn't have a Touch ID sensor in, and, and I guess that shows that it's going to be a long time until everything can. Yeah, I, I you know that's that's an interesting point because in the background of last week, you know, there had been this story that. Uh, iMessages was going to come to Android, and of course they really revamped iMessage, and it's still iOS and macOS only. Uh, so I, th- I do think there's part, there are some things that Apple still uses as like a stick or a carrot, depending on your point of view, to get people or to keep people in their hardware ecosystem. But I think something like Apple Pay um, is a little bit different because a Apple makes a little bit of money every time you use Apple Pay. And that they are using it as a as a service, sort of in a different way than Message. Like Message is like a cloud service, but Apple Pay is like a life service. And maybe they just view those things a little bit differently. And you know, I think that Apple Pay is a long term move for Apple. And it may be that we get to a point where messaging apps aren't the hot thing. And I don't know. I think they're just treating it differently. I agree with you. It's it's an interesting uh, change. It's one that I like. I wish Messages was a little more open. But uh, I'm glad that everybody's going to get it. And, you know, if it was just you have to have Touch ID on your MacBook Pro to use this, that'd be kind of lame. And then what if, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody like you who has an iMac and who, you know, uses a desktop as their primary Mac system is like, well, then you may never get it unless they stick Touch ID somewhere on that. So uh, I think it's nice. I think that it will, um, I think at least for me, when it's available, I will definitely take that option just like I do in a store if there's an, a little. NFC reader, I will always use Apple Pay as opposed to running my debit card. Something that I'm not so excited about because I run my iMac from uh, a mobile hotspot connection is iCloud Drive desktop and document syncing. <laughs> what is this? Thankfully, you can turn it off. Hooray! So if you if you think about Dropbox conceptually being a folder in your home directory that syncs to Dropbox's servers and then any other Dropbox client... This is basically doing the same thing through iCloud Drive, 
where it can be set up and it is optional to sync uh, your desktop and your documents folder to iCloud Drive. Now, it the files remain in place. They still appear on your desktop. So, you know, if you go into Finder, you do have an iCloud Drive directory. It's in your, it's in your sidebar and you can put stuff in there directly. But this will actually sync your desktop. So if I have, say in your case, Mike, you have an iMac and a MacBook Pro and you have a uh, an MP3 on your desktop, it will sync that MP3 to the desktop of your other machine and vice versa. And it's also available in the iCloud Drive app or document picker on iOS. So if you're, for instance, if you're editing podcasts and you bounce out an MP3 and save it to your your desktop, you, after it syncs, you can just choose the iCloud document picker on your iPad and upload it to the server uh, that way. Um, so you don't have right. to like stick it in the iCloud folder or, or stick it in Dropbox. You know, I think this is going to be useful for some people. I know a lot of people use their desktop, including me, use their desktop as just like a, a work in progress type folder. So if I'm working on a big project, I'll have it and a folder on my desktop, and inside of it would just be crazy. And even though I'm just using a single Mac at this point, which is a topic we can get to to another time, uh, I could see a world where be like, it'd be really great if I left this project on my iMac, but I need to get ahead and have my MacBook with me. Again, totally optional. There's always the overall feeling of like, do I trust iCloud Drive with this? For for me, I won't speak for anyone else. For me, I don't use the iCloud Drive document stuff very much. I do have a like a subset of documents I keep in Bywords iCloud container and a couple spreadsheets and, and numbers, and it works fine. I'm not really pushing it uh, very hard. So this is a big leap of faith if you're not kind of all in in iCloud Drive. Like our friend David Sparks is like all in on iCloud Drive, and he uses it for everything, and, and he seems, at least from, from what I've heard, really happy with it. But I, I'm not in it. Dropbox is my file system, as I told somebody last week. Like everything on my machine that is of any value to me, data wise, is in Dropbox. And that I don't know what it would take to break me from that because I've been using it for a really long time and I trust it. But it's interesting to see Apple moving in this direction. So, like a problem that I have is currently I uh, have on my desktop all of my logic files. So that's where they live. I don't want those syncing. It's like hundreds of gigabytes, hundreds and hundreds yeah. and hundreds. Uh, I don't want that to be sunk, sunk <laughs> anywhere, really, <laughs> to be honest. I think you're looking for sync to deed. Sync to deed. Oh, sync to deed. Sorry, sync- how could I have gotten that wrong? Synced huh? Synced it. Synced. Synced it over. No, I agree with you. And you know, for, So one thing I do, if I, so like I'm, I'm working on the next episode of Ingenious, another show that you and I do. And, you know, it's it's got a logic file and a bunch of WAV files and stuff. And I keep it in my downloads folder because I've set my downloads folder to be to be excluded from Backblaze uh, to avoid that sort of, mm. you know, I'm tethering or I'm, I've got a slow connection and I don't want to be syncing, or, you know, backing up, you know, multi-gigabyte files. That's very weird to me. So downloads is kind of a little enclave for me to stash stuff with my cloud backup not seeing it. Why don't you just, like... Not that you need my my help here, but like what I do is I have a folder called Podcast Scratches, which lives on my desktop. That was where it goes. That feels like a, I don't know, like a more logical place than putting it in your downloads folder. It just seems strange yep. to me to mix those things up. Yeah, well, I try to keep um, I try to keep my desktop clean. So the only thing I'm actively working ah, on, so something like Ingenious, 
I did the first edit. I'm waiting on you, so it's just hanging out downloads, so I don't have to see it okay. for a week. Okay, I get it. But to each his own. To each his own. Optimized storage. This terrifies me. Oh God! So let me. I'm just going to read you uh, how Apple describes this because okay. it's a little complicated. So macOS Sierra can help make more room by automatically storing rarely used files in the cloud and keeping keeping them available on demand. It can also help you find and remove old files you no longer use. So this is doing two things. The first one is kind of easy to think about, uh, like photos. So you sync your you know your photo library up to up to uh, iCloud photo library and if you make the settings correct like on your iPad for instance it just stores your thumbnails and then it pulls down the full size file on demand you tap on the picture it spins it comes in so that's kind of called like near line storage but what that's doing what this is doing is bringing that to the finder again totally optional you can leave it off like I'm going to and basically iCloud is watching I guess everything in your home folder, I can't tell you if it's the whole disk. I'm pretty sure it's just the home folder. And it says, hey, uh, you've got all these these papers you wrote in college 10 years ago. You haven't opened these in eight years. Let's just store those in iCloud Drive, and uh, we'll just leave a little a little icon in your finder. And next time, you know, in 10 years when you want to read one of those papers again, click on it. We download it on demand, and you can open it. In theory, that, I'm okay with yeah. some of this. But it's the idea of like me needing a file when I'm on a plane, but Apple has decided in the background that I don't need it. That's what I don't like the thought of. I think that's totally fair. And I at this point, as of this recording, I don't know what the UI is for this. <laughs> if it's just a checkbox, maybe not so good. Uh, it would be nice if you could tell it to autom- like give it rules like you can the Backblaze backup of, hey, exclude this folder at all like never ever think that you can pull anything out of that podcast podcast scratch folder yeah leave it alone it's an island you can't get to it don't touch it um don't touch it don't touch it so i don't know what that control looks like but to me the other one is way more terrifying it can help you find and remove old files you'd no longer use now that verb that verbiage makes me think that there's some sort of interface again i haven't seen it so of hey these are a bunch of files you know, these college papers you haven't opened in a decade, uh, do you really want them? Like maybe you just forgot they were in there. Maybe you can delete them. So hopefully this works like how I think it does, which means it's Sherlock's Daisy Disk, right? That there is a UI that I can open where it searches my like my folders and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, there's a bunch of stuff here that you don't need anymore. Shall we get rid of it? Like, and it shows yeah. me that stuff. That's what I would like it to do. I'd be like, here's 10 movies that you downloaded like a year ago and watched them all. Um, let's get rid of those. Here's a bunch of caches we can get rid of, that kind of stuff. That's what I hope a lot of it is. Yeah. Oh, here you go. So here's some real-time follow-up. Uh, someone in the chat room, Anthony, put in a, uh, a link. We'll put this in the show notes of uh-huh. how this looks. Uh-huh. And so basically it shows you the apps that store documents in iCloud, and then it has like a another window that's like different types of files. And you can say, you know, these are all your documents. These are all your, like, this is a bunch of mail attachments you don't need anymore. So it does look like you have some fine-grained control over what it's doing, which is good. Like, I can't ever imagine Apple uh, shipping something that just, like, nukes files off your desktop without giving you um, any uh, any advanced warning. Yeah. But something, um, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, this is a world, this is Apple responding to a world in which, 
they created of sending yep. tiny SSDs and things. Yep. And it's it's good to have some tools. I mean, how many times have you or you know somebody you know got in touch like, hey, my MacBook Air is you know full, right? Because I have a I have a two hundred fifty six gig SSD and uh, I don't know where all my space is going. And th- tools like Daisy Disk, which is a great application, can get you a little bit down that road, but it can only tell you where stuff is, and it doesn't give you an opportunity to do anything about it except yep. delete things. And Dropbox Infinite is not here yet, and even if it is, I think it's going to be confusing for normal people. So I think near-line storage like this is probably the right answer for a lot of people. Of I don't really need to know if it's on my disk or if it's in the cloud because Finder will... If I click on the icon, it would just spin and pull the file in automatically. I never have to manage it. But this is early days. Again, I haven't, you know, I'm not quite sure something I'm going to trust all the time. But it's a, it's a, it's an interesting low level change to macOS, and one that I think that if it's done well, and I hope that it is, people will find useful because people do run out of space all the time. One thing that I found interesting to find out. Um, and I feel frustrated about this, is that the new messages features uh, kind of in some ways work um, on OS X, uh, Mac OS, I should say. But the <laughs> thing that is frustrating is any of the new applications that, that will be out in the iMessage App Store, you will be able to view any of this stuff on the Mac, but you cannot create it. There will be no iMessage App Store on the Mac. And this annoys me. I don't know why they're doing this. Like it feels like you're bringing a new, uh, you know, bringing a new thing, a new platform, and just deciding to not put it there. And I know it's like engineering time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I get all of that, but it feels like that you're just intentionally putting the Mac on a lower footing. Like you, you're just deciding to do this. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So I at least use iMessage all the time on the Mac. Uh, it's a great way to keep up with people. My guess is like this is one of those things that Apple does sometimes where it's like they they put one foot in front of the other and you gotta wait for the other one to catch up. Like I will not be shocked at all if next year in ten point thirteen there is message app store and all this other stuff comes to the Mac. Either they kinda get it done in time or I mean there's no telling what happened, but it is a little frustrating that some of this stuff will be read only on the Mac and I'm I uh, I'm not as excited about some of the stuff as you are, like the, all the, like, the exploding backgrounds and stuff. It's just like, whatever. I mean, I understand why people like it. I'm excited about some of it. I think some of it's a little over the top. Um, but uh, I think that it will get there eventually. But, um, you know, maybe they had trouble, like, with the interface or kind of get it to work the way they wanted it to. But I, I would... I I will be more worried about this if we get another release under our belts and it's still not there. Overall, though, this is a really chunky uh, macOS release, uh, which is which is great. Um, maybe a little bit more than we would have expected, right? There was quite a few things that went in here. Yeah, and it's more than what it appears. So there's a bunch of other stuff we haven't talked about. Uh, on the surface, it is not a very big update. Um, and I would say it's not even as big as something like, like Yosemite or uh, even Mavericks had some, some interesting stuff. It's not... It's not huge i mean like the high level features you know you can write them off in one hand but some of the changes are pretty significant like all this nearline storage stuff is a big change obviously we haven't even talked about it file system change coming um and you know you're getting some stuff like the 
the smart photo stuff that's happening on iOS is happening in photos on the Mac. So like, there's a lot of stuff going on picture here. Picture in picture as well. Picture in picture is coming, which I like. I used an app called Helium uh, to do that, and um, I guess they got Sherlocked a little bit, but um, Sherlocking all over the place. Sherlocked all the way. All the way, double double Sherlock. All the way. Um, and one of the one of the big things I think it's worth mentioning real quick is the policy change with iCloud. And this I think came out. When the Phil Schiller news broke before WC, I'm I'm not don't remember if we talked no, about it. No, I think it was State of the Union. It may have been. I think you I think you're right. So yeah. uh, up until this point, to use iCloud features like CloudKit or the key value storage or you know all all the different various iCloud components you can put into a Mac app, you had to be in the Mac App Store to use them. And and so what you would see is you would see an app leave the Mac App Store and suddenly their iCloud sync went away, right? But with this policy change, Apple is allowing any signed Mac app to use iCloud, regardless if it's sold in the store or sold directly or free from a you know developer website. Yeah, which is which is huge, right? Because I think ultimately, if you look at the Mac App Store, you look at iCloud. Apple said iCloud is more important to us than the Mac App Store, and we want more people to use it on their Mac apps. And I like Mac apps that, that offer iCloud Sync. It's all very helpful. But there are a lot of apps that I use that aren't in the App Store. And if given a choice, I will usually choose the non-App Store version just so I don't have to deal with the dumpster fire that is the Mac App Store, which, by the way, got no attention. Uh, I don't know if it's any better in Sierra, but it got no mention on stage whatsoever about like Mac App Store improvements. Like, does the app work? No one knows. But it's it's interesting because iCloud was one of the few carrots that Apple had to attract developers to the Mac App Store. And now they're saying, as long as you sign it with a developer certificate, then you can do this without dealing with the Mac App Store. And I think it's I think it's Apple realizing that the Mac App Store, A, doesn't just doesn't work for everybody. So somebody like Sketch, who left the Mac App Store last year, just announced a new subscription model, which I find really interesting. I think really well done. And, you know, you could do, they could be back in the App Store if they, I think a lot of the thing was about the pricing, but now they have the opportunity to use iCloud if they if they have a use for it. Um, so I think Apple realizes the Mac App Store just doesn't work for everybody, and I think they're I think it's also um, a goodwill gesture to developers saying, hey, we we know the Mac App Store maybe isn't what it should be, and maybe you left it, maybe you've never even considered it, but we still want you to feel like you're a valuable citizen in the Mac software ecosystem. And uh, for better or for worse, a lot of a lot of that is focused on iCloud now, that if you can use iCloud, you can feel more like a first-class citizen on the Mac. And so I, I think Apple realized all that and made the policy change. And uh, I'm all for it. I think it's a great change. You know, I think that it does mean maybe that the, the Mac App Store will kind of just continue on, like just, you know, kicking that can down the path a little bit further. But... I think that's okay. I think I think it's a net win for the platform. This week's episode is also brought to you by Smile. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about PDF Pen. It is time for you to break the cycle of scanning, printing, signing, and faxing. So you get a document, you know, you have to print it out because you need to sign it, and then you scan it. 
and then maybe you need to send it off somewhere or maybe you get a document and you have to print it and sign it and then fax it is the only way to get it back. Just stop all of this. Nobody wants to do all of this. It's time to go paperless. It's time for you to get PDF Pen, the ultimate tool for editing PDFs. With PDF Pen, you'll be able to add text and graphics to your PDF. You can make corrections. So if somebody sends you something, you want to change it, you can actually just change the text in the PDF. You can redact sensitive information that you don't want people to see. You can even number pages. There's so much more to PDF Pen has got you covered and the new PDF Pen 8 will further enrich your PDF creation and editing experience. You can also make audio notes now that you can record in place. You're able to access file attachments, export to Microsoft Word whilst offline and you'll also be able to sign documents now with digital signatures allowing you to send and receive PDFs of a greater degree of trust than ever before. I use PDF Pen constantly in my work. Like I, I feel like it's one of the apps that I have in which I wouldn't be able to get my job done in the same way if I didn't have it. It helps me constantly. Um, I absolutely love this application. I deal with so many contracts and things like that that this it really, really helps make a difference with the way that I get my work done. You can learn more about PDF Pen today at smilesoftware.com slash connected. And thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show. All right, so um, on Upgrade this week, uh, me and Jason spoke a lot about WatchOS 3 and about it kind of being the best thing at WWDC, I think, in our opinions. Like, of, the, of all the platforms, it's the one that got the biggest change. It's the one that we're excited the most about. So, Stephen, I wanted to kind of hear from you a little bit about your thoughts on WatchOS and maybe if you agree with me and Jason. So, one of the biggest things here is Apple making some big moves to kind of rethink a lot about the way that we interact with watchOS, with the first one, I guess, being reworking the buttons. What do you think about the change in the friends button? Are you sad that you won't be able to so quickly digital touch people? I'm totally fine with that change. I think it's actually really encouraging. There was some concern, I think, even from the three of us that Apple sort of viewed that feature as like really precious. They spent a lot of time on it in the demos. They dedicated a whole half of the physical controls on the side of the watch to it and i think it's great that they changed it i think the dock uh like model will really work well and i think it's a sign that apple really did go back to the drawing board of the watch and say you know what we maybe thought it worked this way and maybe in their like circle of like hipster designer buddies at work it they did use it that way but I think they realized pretty quickly that's not how it worked in the real world and that they responded to that by making a big change is a, is a big thumbs up for me. So a lot of this stuff is focused around the recent apps. Um, and, you know, a lot of the benefits that we're going to get is because of that, you know, so like the idea of things staying in memory and the dock and how the complications lead into some of that stuff. Do you think this is going to be good? Do you think this is a big change? Do you think it's going to be useful? I, th- I think so. I think that, and talking with everyone who has a watch like this past week and even looking at the way Apple describes it, a lot of people have just a handful of apps that they use in their watch on any regular basis and a bunch of other apps that just get installed automatically that sit in that honeycomb. And so to to elevate your favorite apps to the dock and leave the rest in the honeycomb, you know, in the Mac it would be like the dock and the applications folder having a way to say, these are the apps that I care about. These are the ones that I use on a regular basis. And because of that, I want them to be auto-updating and getting all the benefits and being in the dock. Uh, it's obviously a huge change from before. And I do think it's going to make the watch 
more useful. I mean, right now under Watch OS 2, the only way you can get to an app quickly is through a complication or a glance. If you have to drop down to the honeycomb and like zoom around, you might as well just just give up. I think Apple recognized that and having a way to quickly get to the three or four apps that I use on a regular basis is going to be great. I think it's going to make the watch much faster to use and much more pleasant to use. Cause I don't know about you, like the honeycomb is beautiful on a poster, but it's so infuriating to use and they have downgraded it to like the bottom level. Like if you have to go to the honeycomb, you can, and it's still there. But if you need, you know, one of your apps that you use a lot, put it on a complication put it in the dock yep. and you can just tap it very quickly. Yeah, um, I'm excited about that, right? And and it came across quite well in the talk show where Federighi was, you know, kind of ragging on the watch a little bit, um, and was kind of saying, and I think it was Federighi who was saying this. It may have been, it may have been Schiller. I don't remember about how, like, you know, you're kind of holding your watch up, and you're sitting there for a few seconds, and it's not doing anything, and your arm's starting to hurt, and then you just reach down and grab your phone. Like, was that Federighi that said that? Yeah. And it's definitely been my experience. Oh, 100%. And and I like that he said that. Um, this actually leads into my overall theory that he can't be trusted, right? Oh, yeah, he's a wild card. He's, yeah, he's just going off on one all the time. But it's so true, right? There's so many times where I've looked at that spinner and been like, oh, I've got to get my iPhone out instead. And they're focusing on that as a big thing for watchOS 3. And that makes me really happy because they are understanding the ways that they failed and they're re-architecturing and reworking the watch to deal with the problems. And, and I'm very happy about that. And I'm excited to see how it works. And I was listening to Under the Radar this week and Underscore was saying that like he was running two watches, which was hilarious to see. Mm-hmm. It, on the existing watch hardware, on Apple's built-in apps, like that's working now and and it's it's fast and it's responsive i'm very excited about this this feels like the that they're building the watch that i always wanted to use like and that currently i'm kind of it's the hardware i want the features that i want but there's something in between that's kind of broken but it feels like that's not going to be the case there um glances are gone right yeah the glances are 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 gone so the interaction now is put it as a complication on your watch face and they didn't make changing watch faces easier or hit the side button and go to the dock. And so if you swipe up now currently, you know, you can swipe through all of your glances. Now there's control center, just like on iOS, but there's it's not a page deal. Like it's just control center and uh basically they they I think I think they said in the demos they sort of folded in glances into the dock like it's the same idea. Like glances kind of in a way like not that dissimilar from the docs, like your favorite apps. In theory, they were supposed to launch quickly, but of course they didn't, and now it's behind a side button as opposed to a swipe up. So uh, they're gone, but like I guess the spirit of them is still kind of there in the dock. But you know, I use them heavily, but I really feel like I was one of the few people. Like I just, I get the impression that glances obviously were just sort of skipped over by a lot of users. Yeah, and what I like is that the new kind of dock feature. It shows all like UI that is updated. So it's when you hit that button and you're scrolling through the apps, you're seeing accurate information, which is kind of like glances. You know, so yeah. I feel like that they've found a nice middle ground between all of that, uh, and I'm excited. I'm very excited about it. Um, what about multiple watch faces? Do you think you'd use this feature? I I don't use it now, but I also don't 
I only use one third party complication right now because they're so slow. Okay. Um, and so it may be that. So, so what, what Apple's pitching is you set up a watch face for work that maybe has your calendar and your OmniFocus on it. And then you swipe over and you have your, you know, maybe you're at home, uh, watch face that maybe has your grocery list and it doesn't have your calendar and it has the weather instead. Or you swipe over and you have like at the lake weekend and it has nothing on it except the weather. Like they're setting it up to say, use your complications as a context aware type scenario where you, you can change what you see based on where you are. Of course I can't do it automatically. That'd be, that'd be sweet, but they're not doing anything like that. But they're they're really pitching to say make your complications like part of your life in a new way, and if they do that and and they work this time, then I could you know I could definitely be interested in revisiting them. It is interesting that they the, the gesture to change watch faces is now a uh, an edge swipe. Um, basically, anything that was three D touch only is gone in watchOS three. It, it all has another way to be done, which is very interesting to me. Yeah, interesting, but I think that huh? they're they're making the pitch of like, hey, mm-hmm. do do this. Like, you use watch faces to your advantage. Because up to this point, I've always seen a watch faces like, I just want to pick the one that looks the way I want it to look. And I very rarely change. In fact, the only time I really change is actually like when I'm flying, like I was twice last week. And I will use the utility one and I'll put the calendar as the big one so I can see all my flight information. But the rest of that, I just use the utility one like all the time with two complications on it and it never changes. I think Apple wants it to be more interactive than that. So I think all that stuff is good. I think watchOS 3 is a great move in the right direction. What's really interesting to me, and I want to see what you think about this, Mike, is it sort of makes like my like burning desire for new watch hardware not as important. Like huh. This is faster huh. on existing hardware yeah. than... Think, you know, I, I wanted a new watch to be faster. And like using underscores, even in beta 1, it's not instant. But it's way quicker, and it kind of I don't know like i'm not I'm not like super anxious for new watch hardware all of a sudden what What do you think? The only feature I wanted from a new watch was faster. That was all I wanted, like so if they add a camera, I kind of don't care if they make it thinner, I also kind of don't care because then the battery might not be as good, and I actually don't think they're going to make the next watch thinner because they've just decided to like eat into the battery life that they had right that's That's a really good point, so I can't imagine any hardware feature that i would specifically want like there's nothing that i'm pining for now apple has the ability as always to make something that i didn't expect but a lot of the things that i wanted were the main thing i wanted from the new watch hardware seems to have gone away and if they say that oh it's a little it's it's still faster on watch 2 great i'm sure that'd be awesome but it's already so much faster with watch os 3 that making it a little bit faster in watch 2 is less appealing uh, and I'm interested to see what Apple come out with because, you know, maybe they design it differently, right? Maybe there's like a new design, a better looking watch uh, than what we currently have in a way that I don't see right now. Um, but I'm struggling to see what they could do because the watch OS 3 is solving a lot of what was considered to be our problems. Um, I want to talk to you about Breathe. Okay. So this is a, a new thing that Apple is doing uh, to help people take breathing exercises throughout the day. Um, yeah. I've actually used this. I've experienced this. Um, I was sitting next to our friend uh, Ben McCarthy, who I, by the way, blame for this sickness. Um, he was coughing. So thanks, Ben. And he had the uh, 
the watch three on his watch, and it uh, it reminded him to breathe. With a capital B, so it's not being sarcastic. Yeah, I really think they should have chose a different name for this because the the notifications are so ridiculous. But it's the most Apple name of any feature. <laughs> it's it's too... It, it, basically, I know why they called it this, and it looks nice, but the the way that it notifies you means it kind of makes fun of itself. You know, like reminding you... It's like, remember to breathe, that kind of stuff. It's like, no... No, come on, guys. Let's not do this. But anyway, um, basically, what it does is it said to us, you know, we we went into the mode and we and it was like, you, we want you to, f- to kind of clear your mind, focus on your breathing. Uh, we're going to take seven deep breaths, and then there's an animation that happens on the screen of like a kind of a pseudo flower type thing expanding and shrinking, mm-hmm. and every time you need to change from like breathe out to breathe in, you get a a, a little tap on the wrist. And do you know what? I really liked it. I don't think I'm going to be doing this like seven times a day. But if it reminds me to breathe while I'm in a particularly stressful time in my day, I will totally do this. And I would love it if a way that they're doing this or could do this in the future is monitoring my heart rate. And then reminding me to do this, I think that might be kind of cool. Like there might be a, a difference there, or maybe if maybe you know uh, some people have spoken about this, like that watch two could be getting new sensors. One of those sensors could be to try and understand stress, uh, and if it can do that and couple this in with the breathing, and that might be why they're introducing it. Uh, that would be really cool, and I would like that. And yeah, I did it, and do you know what? It did calm me down for a little bit for that time. So I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of happy with that. This is something that I will use. I think I will use it as much as I use stand, right? So not all the time, but it does remind me to do something that I should be doing. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. But the name sucks. <laughs> I think it's one of those features that, um, you know, it's easy to sort of right off in the context of like a developer keynote <laughs> but uh i agree with you I, I i think it's going to be um useful for some people i too have used similar things in the past and there really is something to it and uh i think if it can bring more people to that that sort of thing then hey that's great it's um it's, it's one of those things i agree with you the name <laughs> the name is funny so so let me understand so it, it can it can use the haptic feedback to tell you like the timing is that what you were saying? Well, because what it's doing is asking you to breathe in and breathe out, right? Um, so instead of you sitting there and watching the animation move in and out the whole time, which we did do just to see what it looked like because you'd be holding your wrist up. So you'll breathe, it'll tell you to breathe in and then it will tap you and then you breathe out and then it taps you and then you breathe in. And I think that there are different tap, like tap gestures, uh, like the amount of times it taps you I think differs so you can kind of, place where you are and you learn it over time but it just stops you from having to stare at your watch for 20 seconds so like you look at it you know when the first motion is and then you can kind of put it down and it will just hit you whenever you need to to do that that makes sense yeah this may be a reason for me to finally get my watch fixed where my haptic uh like taptic engine and my stainless steel watch doesn't really tap me anymore it just sort of rattles probably problematic Uh, (laughs) apparently this is i've heard people say that the steel watch has a weaker taptic motor than the sport watch. I don't know if it's that or if it's the body weighs more and it just can't make the movement as convincing, but mine definitely sounds like a little bomb going off every time I get a notification. Then you've got a problem. I think I do. Um, other than that, like, are you thinking that the, any of these features might make you use the watch more? I know like of the three of us, you're the one who's kind of given up. 
Yeah, I wear it about 50% of the time. I took it with me to WWC and did not take my other watch. Wore it the whole time. And I think that it... I think that it could really make the watch more helpful for me because I have that frustration that everyone else has. But because I work at home, I'm not like running around all the time. Like my phone is always where I can use it. Uh, We've spoken about this in the past, but in a previous life when I had a lot of client meetings, the watch was much more useful to me because I couldn't put my phone out and I could just quickly glance and see what was going on. And now there's no one telling me that that's rude because I'm just at home with the dog all day. But uh, so when I'm out wearing it, you know, running errands or something, the the slowness, the lack of re- the reminders app will be will be a nice change. Uh, when I go grocery shopping, that's what my wife and I use, and it's always frustrating to have to use my phone. It's like, why isn't this on the watch? Well, now it is, and so I don't know if it's gonna make me wear the watch all the time again, but I think that it will definitely make the watch more useful to me, and I think that. I think that overall it's going to be good. I think overall they have simplified the like the paradigm of the watch, like understanding what the watch is doing and how it's working. I think is going to be simpler now for users who are new to it. And you know, even now, well, how long have they been out? Like a year and a half, you know, over a year. Even now, sometimes I get in a state on my watch and I'm not sure how I got there, and I just sort of have to like bail out to the to the the watch face and start over. And I think that will not be the case anymore. I think they've solved that. And I think it will make it a more compelling product for new users as well. This week's episode is also brought to you by willing.com, the best way to make a will. So this subject is of course a little delicate, right? But it's important stuff. Nobody likes to have to talk about planning for the inevitable. So willing.com tried to keep the time that you spend thinking about it to an absolute minimum. The average time to complete a will on their site is about 10 minutes. And this is why somebody is making a will at willing.com every three minutes. They have lots of people going there and checking it out. Their service was created with leading estate planning attorneys. They make documents for all 50 states in the US that are tailored to your specific questions. They are US only right now, I'm afraid. And now you can easily come back to them Anytime to update your documents. All you need to do is enter your information on their site using their easy-to-use system. You'll be able to instantly download and print your personalized documents. You can also sign them as well to make everything official. Willing.com's basic will, which allows you to describe how you wish to leave your property, is completely free. They also offer documents like living will, power of attorney, and trusts, which are all available at competitive prices. You'll be able to avoid probate with a deed of trust. Basically, if you own a home, you want to avoid probate, and they can help with that. 90% of Willing.com's customers recommend them to a friend. Find out for yourself why and get a basic will for free by going to Willing.com slash connected. And if you need to name guardians or want to avoid probate, you can use the coupon code connected for a huge 50% off. And remember, you can go back at any time to update your documents. There are no recurring fees. Thank you so much to Willing.com for their support of this show and Relay FM. Right. So something that was left out of the keynote was anything really iPad specific. So we saw a lot of iOS 10 and even in the Apple press release photos, which I downloaded because I keep a collection of those naturally, it's all on the iPhone. Like, uh, So we're back in this like iOS 8, iOS 7 era where the iPad is not getting anything specific really. There, there are a couple of little things we can get to those. But iOS 10 is a, is a more universal release. 
where iOS 9 obviously had a lot of iPad only. I wouldn't features. even call it universal. I would say iOS 9 is an iPhone. Uh, iOS 10 is an iPhone release. Yeah. Yeah, Control Center is shockingly bad in the <laughs> iPad beta. But um so I don't know like so what uh, what do you think about this? Federico uh wrote something over on Mac Stories yesterday uh putting out some some yep. theories about what's going on. What what do you think? In Federico's absence, let me TLDR his piece. Um Effectively, there are no big iPad-specific features announced for the iPad at WWDC. And it's mainly what the iPad is getting is support for iPhone things. And unfortunately for the Mac, much better support than the Mac is getting, right? So all the iMessage (laughs) App Store and all that kind of stuff is going to be on the iPad. Uh, What we did get, so there were a couple of little bits. uh, Split View Safari, which is really nice. It's two instances of Safari side by side, not two applications. So basically you take a tab and you can drag the tab to the right side and it will pop out. Then you can have multiple tabs going at the same time. So you can have multiple tabs on the left, multiple tabs on the right. They both scroll independently. But if you drag an app over into split view it pops those back into one application and you can't bring up this second safari view currently from split view it is you are using the application the one application which is safari and using two instances of that app side by side within the one application it's a little difficult to explain but basically it's not two versions of safari it's one app uh, they've also bought brought around a a three panel um, notes and mail so you have three panes there so like you have I don't know like your mailboxes then your message list and then your messages right for example that would that's kind of how it works in both Um, there's some new uh, UI stuff for spotlight so which I really really happy with currently if you hit command tab on a keyboard it takes you back to the home screen drops down the spotlight view and puts the cursor in so you can't start typing right away but it now takes like nine minutes to make those transitions way too long I've gotten used to it because I do it so much but now spotlight overlays over whatever you're looking at like it does on the Mac so it's instant super happy about this it will take and what it does is save me a couple of seconds every time but it will feel more fluid which I'm really happy about uh, command tab now has a home screen icon. So in the command tab, you can go right to the end and hit home screen. I think this is kind of pointless for me um, because if well, I know why they've done this, which is people hit command tab, the app that they're looking for or expecting to be in there isn't there. So then they have to do, open another application and then hit home, right? to go to go And then choose the app that they want. That's why they've done this, I think. So now you can just hit the home screen and then you go back to the home screen. But what I do is I will just take my finger off a of tab and then hit it with H, right? Because Command H takes you to home. But I guess not enough people know about these shortcuts or whatever, so they've put a home screen icon in there. I mean, it's kind of fine, but now you've just taken away one of the apps that I'm looking for in, in that list. But hey-ho, I, I can see that users are doing this. That's why I expect they've done this. So it's a nice change for that, but for me, it's... You know, I don't know how to fix it already. Uh, Federico believes, so the, the crux of Federico's article is what's happening with the iPad. Um, and he has belief that we will see more iPad-specific improvements later in the iOS 10 release cycle. So somewhere after iOS 10 is released to the public, before iOS 11, there will be point releases with more iPad-specific improvements. Some things that he thinks are calling out to this is Safari and sticker animations. So the Safari tab 
um, the, the split view. As I said, you hit a tab and then it like floats and then you drag it over and it opens up. And it's just kind of the same with the stickers. So if in the stickers in iOS, you hit the stickers, they pop out of the kind of the UI, you know, and they can kind of, kind of recall 3D view, I guess. And then you drag them over to stick onto the sticker. Uh, Federico believes that these animations and the work that's gone into that hints at drag and drop for on the iPad, which I completely agree with. Um, Federico also says that uh, he thinks that the uh, the iOS releases are likely to fall in line with more iPad hardware revisions. So it's been, in March will be a year since the uh, since the nine point seven inch iPad Pro. This seems like a real good time to have more releases, and it may take cues from the iPad education enhancements, which were in nine point three, which I believe was March, right? They came out. Yeah, I, I could I could see a world where spring equals iPad and fall equals iPhone. Yep. Uh, there also should be some kind of way to enable the iPad to work with the new 3D touch actions, so the stuff on the notifications and the stuff on the home screen, and that may come in a later re- release as well. Uh, I completely agree with this stuff. I think that with the current state of the iPad, given current sales trends, uh, it's worth taking additional time to make the iPad more attractive, but it's not worth taking time away from the iPhone. So don't do it in the build-up to the September iPhone release or you know, to the WWDC release in June. You may as well do it later. You know, Announce it maybe a little earlier or announce it in March with a release in April or something like that to give people more time to do iPad work inside of Apple and outside of Apple and give it its own release. It's not necessary to have this stuff all ready for the holiday season because I just don't think that's what's happening with the iPad. They may as well give it time to grow and time to be worked on and have its own uh, release schedule in the other half of the year. I think that's really interesting and I hope that's the way it continues and that's what Apple is looking to do here. Because iOS 9 was such a jump forward for the iPad, this shouldn't be the only jump forward that we get for the next six years. Uh, I think I think that's absolutely right, and the so in addition to like the calendar split up thing, which I, t- I really like the way you said it, that focus on the iPhone and focus on the iPad, but don't let them take away from each other. I think that Apple is still looking for a way to slow down that that fall that the iPad is still in uh, with the sales numbers, and I think one way to do that is to make it more compelling from a, a software perspective, and so to have iOS 9 be it for another couple of years seems really counter to that to that point. And I can see them, you know, the hardware is really good. The hardware has been really good for a long time. And now it's sort of time to mature the software. Uh, I think, too, it adds a nice opportunity for schools who are making purchases in the spring for the yep. next school year. You know, yep. people always said, oh, you know, they released MacBooks and july for schools like no like schools buy stuff in february or march like they're not buying stuff over the summer they're deploying it over the summer and so as ipad and education becomes a bigger push this makes sense to line to align with that uh, a little bit better and not that that would be a reason to change an entire product strategy but i think it's a nice bonus if you're changing the strategy that you get to pick up that edu benefit as well and i think just i think lastly that you know, these iOS releases have gotten so big, these keynotes have gotten so full. There is there's always going to be a loser. And this year the the watch was the winner and the iPad was the loser. And 
putting the iPad in the spring and once if, if they're if they're doing this and once they set the calendar, you know, after the second fall of the iPhone was in, was out, we all kind of understood that the fall meant new iPhones. If they can set that that schedule with the iPad, it also like takes a little pressure off WWDC and the fall events. If people aren't running around doing what we're doing right now of like where's the iPad? Well, if we can all understand that it's in the spring, then everyone is less stressed about it, and it it helps even out their calendar. It won't be like it was at twenty twelve where everything was in the fall. It will give them some opportunity to to handle everything better from like all sorts of different angles. And so uh, I'm all for it. I understand that you know right now there's a little bit of a pain point. If March is going to be a new iPad hardware, it means that twelve point nine inch iPad may be a year and a half old by the time they refresh it. But I think that's fine. I think you have to go through these changing and growing pains to get to where they want to be. And I agree with Federico and I agree with you that the spring seems like the obvious time to spend on the iPad and let let the phone kind of own the fall event on its own or with the watch, I guess. Yeah. And I think splitting them up would be really nice. And I think it would just help as well from a consumer perspective of not of Apple not releasing all of their products in September and October. Like, that is not good, in my opinion. Like to release all of your hardware within a space of a couple of months of each other, um, I think that that doesn't help consumer buying decisions as well. So I think it might be nice to help spread that out a little bit, even if it just helps me. You know, come on, Apple, give me a break here. Uh, you know, I can't buy everything. I was listening to back to some of the episodes to find that that the little clip of me uh, saying to Federico about setting my goal and in that episode i just bought an imac and was talking about buying an ipad pro and then i remembered to how bad my bank account felt in september of last year Oof. it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff and i think that the the watch will benefit from the holiday bump more than the ipad will i mean clearly if you look at the sales numbers the holidays like it matters for the phone it doesn't matter so much for the ipad and so if that's true, then like why not break it and why not give the watch that false spot and let the iPad do what it wants to do naturally? I don't think there's any downside to it. Especially because Cook has been on record to say that the watch is a full product. Like he's they've said that. And I think having them like you said he said holiday season, I think, actually. So having them both come out in the fall together, it will also allow the iPhone and the watch to gain new features that are exclusive to each other. You know, with every new hardware revision, which I think is the way that they sell those products as a pair going on into the future, uh, I think that could be good for them. So, I think we're going to see this stuff. I agree with Federico. I think it's coming, and I think it's going to come around March time. Um, we're going to have to wait and see, but there is a part of me that is fully aware of the wishful thinking aspect of this. Um, yeah, I'm. I, that is not hidden to me. Right, like I'm very aware of the fact that like I'm holding on here to see more. Uh, if we don't see anything in within this re- revision, I'm going to be very, very upset because Apple has had really shown to us that they were focusing on the iPad. Then they released Pro hardware. Uh, if we don't see anything this year to kind of take advantage of that in new and exciting ways, that is going to be very disappointing very very disappointing indeed and it will it will again show an unfortunate lack of care and advance in the platform which had shown for so many years but it looked like it was changing so i do still believe they're going to do it but i just want to say that like if they don't tut, tut, tut. yep that'll be i think 
<laughs> like most things, time will tell. But I think time will really tell here that if it is next fall before we see anything iPad specific, then something is going on. And but I don't think they're going to do it. I think that Apple has shown that it cares about this platform. They're obviously investing heavily on the hardware side, and I think they've got momentum coming out of iOS nine and iOS nine point three. And it makes a lot of sense just to continue that momentum uh, forward, to keep people excited, to keep developers engaged, and to keep the public uh, interested in what's going on, right? That it's it's not just a big iPhone, that it can do things that are unique and that are powerful and that are well-suited to the larger display. It's just, it's just a win all the way around if they can keep it up. Cool. All right. Shall we uh, wrap up? I think that does it. I made it. You did. It's pretty good, right? It's good. I feel I feel real happy that I got all the way through. Well, you have to close the show. It's not quite done yet. Blah, blah, blah. There we go. Done. Now this. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Thanks to our sponsors, Willing.com, Smile, and Ministry of Supply. If you want to find Stephen's work online, he is at ISMH on Twitter, and he writes over at 512pixels.net. Um, I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Federico, if you're out there, I hope you feel better, and I hope that we'll hear from you next week. He is at Vitici on Twitter, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And you can read his great um, iPad article, as along with many more amazing things over at MacStories.net. If you want to find our show notes for this week, head on over to Relay.fm slash Connected slash 96. We are on Twitter as well. This show is at underscore Connected FM. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then... Say goodbye, Stephen. Adios.